Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you tuned in as Pastor Matt leads us in a study of God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew. As Jesus furthers his teaching on what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. Surely that was the theme in Christ's previous instruction. When he held a lowly, weak, and powerless infant on the one hand, and the man of great wealth on the other, well, Jesus was helping us understand that those who come with the trust and humility of a child to receive the kingdom of God, they will have no problem gaining access. But those who come impressed by their own actions will find it most impossible indeed. Because their pride and self-sufficiency speak great falsehood to their hearts. They're saying, I've done everything else on my own. I can do this salvation thing myself also. That is a huge struggle in the 21st century church. As men and women of faith continue to rely on their performance for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Even though everything that we read, everything that we teach, everything that we talk about points to man's inability to stand in the presence of God on their own. We're still regurgitating the words of the rich man who asks, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? Well, Jesus said, it's not even in the cards for people to do. Salvation can't be bought by man. It can't be earned by man. It can't be achieved by man's good works. But it can and is to the elect granted by the one true and living God. And so we realize, as Kenneth Barker put it, that salvation is totally and completely God's work. Every attempt to enter the kingdom on the basis of human achievement or merit is futile, he says. For apart from the grace of God, salvation itself is an impossibility. And not a single person among us can be saved. That was the lesson back in chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel. And that's the lesson that begins chapter 20. So turn there with me, if you will. And follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. 
Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But the landowner answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. May God bless the reading of his word. If we will remember back, there were three important questions posed in the previous chapter that continue to reverberate in the hearts and minds of these disciples. The first was asked by the man of means who came to Jesus wondering, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? The second question was asked by the disciples themselves after Christ spoke about the difficulties of taking that approach. Hearing how hard it would be for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they wondered, well, who then can be saved? And then after some time of reflection, Peter said on behalf of the twelve, we have left everything and followed you. What will there be for us? Now, sure enough, each of those questions received its reply in the context of those prior conversations. And the Lord could have left it at that. But knowing how we would continue to struggle with these kingdom realities, Jesus provides an additional illustration. That's what we find in this morning's text. A parable that rounds out and reinforces his previous teaching on salvation and how it works. The setting he chooses is one well known to his agrarian audience, involving a Vineyard, a landowner, and those brought in to harvest. Now, the story is not about these fictitious people or places, of course, but their interactions help demonstrate the principles on which the kingdom operates. First, we realize that the landowner chooses the workers and keeps on choosing them more and more. Let's take a look back at verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, 
he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard. and Whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour even, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now, like most crops, grapes in a vineyard become ripe all at once. And when that happens, they need to be harvested within a relatively short time window. So landowners would hire additional workers to gather in their field. But what does that hiring process look like? Well, that's what we have described for us in the opening verses of this parable. The process by which the unemployed and unskilled laborer becomes a valued and productive worker in God's vineyard. Does the man just walk himself onto the property and start plucking grapes of his own volition? No. He or she must first be hired by the landowner who goes out into the marketplace and chooses each and every one. Isn't that the arrangement that Jesus sets forth here? He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is like people who decided to work in the vineyard. No, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when those who were chosen agreed to his terms, he sent them off to work it. That's how it operates, friends. Not just when a farmer chooses laborers for his field, but when God chooses men unto salvation. He initiates the process. He chooses the number. He dictates the terms. He grants the access and he assigns the work. Before the man does one single thing. Truly, the only part of this that the worker can take credit for is his own need for employment which makes him just desperate enough to show up. Apart from that, what has the worker done? What has the worker performed? What has the worker accomplished before being called and hired? Nothing at all. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to illustrate. Remembering back to the wealthy man's question. When he said, what good deed shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? That's not how the kingdom operates. It's not your doing that gets you in, friends. It's God's calling. God's choosing. God's electing. 
And not just for one particular people group at one particular time. No, God has and will continue to choose men and women unto salvation right up until the final moments of humanity. That's the second part of this great election truth. That our landowner is so eager to increase his number, is so zealous to complete his harvest, so pleased to extend his grace, that he didn't just choose once and shut the door on his vineyard. No, he keeps on choosing more and more to come and join in his work. Even in these final moments, as the time grows short and darkness looms on our horizon, he's still calling men and women to himself. For not only did he go out early in search of his workers, we're told in verse 3 how the landowner went out about the third hour and saw others. He said to them, you get in the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. And again, we're told in verse 5, he went about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And even when the workday was all but finished, in the eleventh hour out of twelve, he went out and found others still. Others who had not yet been hired. I said, why have you been standing here idle? You go into the vineyard too. Surely, God could have chosen his number at the outset and shut the door. But he didn't. He keeps on choosing more. For as John MacArthur has said, the night of judgment is coming when no man can work. But while it is day, the Father will continue to draw men to himself. Praise God. Glory, glory, and hallelujah. Are you there? And thinking about entrance into the kingdom, we have to realize the landowner chooses the workers. He keeps on choosing them more and more. And everyone he chooses receives their reward in full. Take a look back at verse 8. Jesus continues through this parable by saying, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now that monetary unit means very little to us today, but one denarius was a standard rate for a day's work in first century Israel. The typical going rate for a foot soldier or a day laborer who would put in the full 12 hour shift. That's what the landowner offered the workers hired first thing in the morning. And those were the terms to which the chosen had agreed. A denarius for the day, as we are told back in verse 2. Those on the receiving end of this parable would have considered that full and final reward. Coming at the end of their day, as was their custom. 
So the fact that the 6 a.m. hires got that full amount, well, that is not at all surprising. For that's exactly what they would have expected. But what about those who were chosen later? Who had not been working the vineyard nearly as long? What portion would they receive? Well, their payment was not spelled out quite so explicitly at the outset. While the first workers agreed to one denarius, those hired afterward were promised only to be given whatever the landowner determined was right, as we see back in verse 4. Nonetheless, the workers hired at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 o'clock and 5, they all went into the vineyard, overjoyed at the thought of being chosen and trusting their employer's goodwill. They went and they worked for whatever part of the day remained and every one of the men who were called received the full payment. Not based on how many grapes they had time to harvest or the number of hours that had passed since signing on. Now, that's how we determine compensation to our employees. But that's not how it works in the economy of heaven. No, by the Lord's accounting, a man's reward is not based on the amount of time that has passed since God called them, but on the simple fact that he has been called. And so those 6 a.m.ers among us who entered the vineyard and worked it since their earliest days of their life, well, they will receive the full blessing of salvation just as they were promised. Those who hear the call a bit later, say at the age of 24, they too receive the full blessing of salvation. As do those whom God hires in their final year of life. Everyone who has been chosen receives salvation to the fullest extent. Because it's not really about the workers and how much time they have had to accomplish things. It's about God and how gracious he is to all of his chosen men. Do you see? The landowner chooses the workers. He keeps on choosing them more and more. And everyone he chooses receives their reward in full. Yeah, but some have deceived themselves, thinking their work is what earned them this blessing. Now take a look back at verse 9. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us? 
who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day? And the 6 a.m. workers were envious of those who came at 5 p.m. because in the minds of the early arrivals, they deserve to be paid more. And in a worldly sense, they did. After all, their timesheet was punched for a full 12 hours while these latecomers only worked one. How does that make any sense? How can I, who was chosen first, who worked more hours, who suffered longer in the field, how can I get no more than they who showed up late, barely got chosen, and hardly broke a sweat. That's not equitable by our means of accounting, that they should receive the same pay. Yeah, but that's making a huge foundational assumption. The assumption that your compensation is earned by your work. Where that is the case, then the man working 12 hours should most certainly be paid more than he who works one. Uh, 12 times as much by my calculations. And no employer or labor union would ever dispute that fact. But that's predicated on that one huge foundational assumption. A found, uh, an assumption that where God's salvation is concerned is totally and completely false. See, this idea of equal pay for unequal work, it was a significant and shocking twist in Jesus' story. And it is the hinge on which this entire parable takes its turn. What do you mean these latecomers get the same as us? No, I have worked longer, I have worked harder, and God owes me more. No, friend, God doesn't owe you anything. We need to remember that lest we begin to grumble like these first chosen workers who seem to have forgotten where it was they were standing just a few short hours before. Because by my recollection, at about 5.59 that morning, they were unskilled, uneducated, unemployed, and undeserving. And now they want to lay claim to some fortune as though their deeds over the last 12 hours have put God in their debt? No. At the time of their choosing, they were unskilled, uneducated, unemployed, and undeserving. Just as we are. And God doesn't owe us a thing. 
Not in the slightest. Now, instead of comparing what we have accomplished, what we have achieved, what we have earned with the efforts of others, we should just be thankful for the opportunity to labor for God in the first place. Because by all accounts of fairness, which seems to be at the top of these workers' minds, by all accounts of fairness, we should still be begging in the marketplace, having been rejected and refused. Only when I forget that do I grumble. Only when I lose sight of that do I complain. But sadly, that happens a whole lot more often than I would care to admit. Just as it did for those in Jesus' original audience. Surely this was an issue for the Jews who grumbled that God would suddenly, out of nowhere, after all this time, allow the lowly Gentiles to enter the kingdom. Surely this was a problem among the Pharisees, who grumbled that Christ would now allow tax collectors and prostitutes to enter in. Surely this could be seen at times among the twelve, who grumbled that those who began to follow Jesus much later on in his earthly ministry than they had. And surely this remains a problem for those who have spent their whole life in the church. Grumbling that the Lord would now swing open the doors to welcome those newly converted. Well, to one and all, this stands as a firm rebuke. One standing in the kingdom of God does not depend on chronology. It did not depend on longevity. It does not depend on human merit of any kind. That's why the one-hour worker gets paid the same as the three-hour, the six-hour, the nine-hour, and the twelve. Because it's not based on the work. It's based on the God that does the choosing. And let us not forget that every one of these workers was chosen just the same. Yeah? The landowner chooses the workers. He keeps on choosing them more and more. And everyone he chooses receives their reward in full. Some have deceived themselves, thinking their work is what earned them this blessing. But the blessing is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Take a look back now at verse 13. In response to the grumblers, the employer answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Uh, take what is yours and go. But I wish, I desire, I have decided to give to this last man the same as to you. Now, in the parable, the landowner was no more obligated to hire the first workers than he was the last. 
he would have been entirely justified to pass them all over. And yet, here they are, all of them, being paid more than they deserved, more than they warranted, more than they were worth. So rather than complain against the one who made the blessing possible, they should be thanking him and praising him for this incredible blessing that they had just received, recognizing it as the gracious gift that it was. Now, that is true of every worker in the vineyard that day, whether called in the first hour or the 11th. They were all hired. And they were all paid. Not because they deserved to be chosen, not because they had some claim on the grapes, but because their employer had determined to extend them his grace. I gave to you. According to the terms of our agreement, I gave to them as I saw fit. Why are we not all rejoicing together? Well, because in our absolute and depraved absurdity, we think our work entitles us to something more. Something more than life in the presence of Almighty God for all eternity? You want something more than that? Because in the wretchedness of your humanity, you performed a few menial tasks for a couple of hours? That is an absolute and depraved absurdity. The likes of which defies logic, reason, and the truth of God's word, which assures us that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Don't you see? I mean, we labor, we serve, and we work in God's vineyard, not because it entitles us to some benefit from him in the future, not because it puts the Lord in our debt, but as a grateful and loving response to the gracious gift of salvation that we could never have possibly been entitled to. No, as one theologian put it, the principle in the world is that he who works the hardest and the longest receives the most pay. And that is just. But in the kingdom of God, the principles of merit and ability are set aside so that grace can take the place of preeminence. Yeah? The landowner chooses the workers. He keeps on choosing them more and more. Everyone he chooses receives their reward in full. Some have deceived themselves, thinking their work is what earned them this blessing. But the blessing is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Granted by a God who does whatever he pleases. Take a look back 
at verse 14. The employer says to the grumblers, take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last because that's what I have determined. I mean, the truth of the matter here, as in the realm of salvation, is that nobody gets a raw deal. Nobody was treated unfairly in this parable. Nobody went away with less. I mean, that's true for the workers in the parable, just as it is for every man and woman today. There is absolutely no injustice with God. Yeah, but we complain Because we have perceived injustice on his part. But to some, God owes salvation to everyone. And he is unjust for not blessing every single person carte blanche. To others, God should guard his salvation a little more carefully. Because it's unjust for him all of a sudden to include others like those out there. That seems to be the sentiment of these early workers who cannot believe that God would be so loose with his denarii. But God says, isn't it my denarii? Come to think of it, Aren't those my grapes in my vineyard? Aren't you my employees? Isn't this my deal? Yeah, then I guess it's all mine to do with as I see fit. It's really not that complicated, friends. If we recognize this clear and simple truth that God is God, not you. And he can do whatever he pleases. In fact, the psalmist put it in precisely those terms. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. With that truth clearly established, well, there is no place any longer for personal pride, for contempt, for jealousy, or for accusation. We have not the standing to question how God operates his affairs. If he wants to bless one and withhold from another, who am I to question it? God is God, and he can do whatever he pleases. If he 
He wants to dole out an extra portion of grace to someone that I find a bit undeserving. Who am I to question it? God is God. And he can do whatever he pleases. If he wants to pay somebody for 12 hours work when they've only worked one, who am I to question it? God is God. And he can do whatever he pleases. That's the deal, friends. And it's well worth remembering. For as Paul assured the Romans, there is no injustice with God. No, may it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs as though they deserve or earn something. No. It depends on God who has mercy. So instead of grumbling or complaining or accusing God of some perceived offense, Let's just give thanks that we have been so graciously counted in his number. And let us commit to work all all our days in his vineyard, not to earn salvation, but as an expression of gratitude for being saved. Yeah? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to come and consider your word. We consider it an even greater privilege to be counted in the number of the redeemed. Workers who did absolutely nothing but show up and were hired to work in your vineyard. What a blessing. What a privilege, what an honor. Lord, and I would pray that any arrogance we have, any thought of self-worth that we have, any bit of uh, claim to have earned this blessing, Lord, that you would strip that away from us right here and right now. Lord, that we would work not to earn, that we would work to say thanks, and that we would welcome others who have been so graciously hired, even if it comes later. Lord, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for challenging us and continue to shape us and grow us in the image of your Son. Continue to do it, we pray. Amen and amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again if you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose or want to connect with Pastor Matt. Come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue 